0: Coming up on this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Next, Jenny, I got your number 8675309. Oh, it's dangerous to go alone, so the Nintendo Cartridge Society goes with you. Welcome to Nintendo Cartridge Society. My name is Patrick Ellers, and I am joined, as I'm always joined, by my co-host, Mark Mitchell. Mark, how's it going? It's going great. Although I have to admit,
1: Patrick, I am reaching the point where I am forgetting what my hair looked like when it was properly <laughs> like quaffed. Like when a professional had mm-hmm. touched it in months. Because uh, it doesn't look that way right now, but I'm just kind of getting used to it. Like this is just when you've been doing it for half a year or more that's just kind of what your hair is now
0: oh absolutely i mean it's i it is time that we all recognize that uh we are not in a like weird interim period in our lives these just our this is uh, these are our lives now (laughs) this is what this is we live existences where we see the same three rooms all day every day (laughs) forever this is it it'll change but this is what life is now and this is what your hair is now, Mark. Is, uh, Honestly, I, in- I, I don't remember either. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: know. That's the thing, is that like for a while it was upsetting and now it's just life is normal.
0: Yeah, that's right. Um it's yeah, I've 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 been thinking about uh a, a lot how like um I spend so much time with Sarah now, uh, which, you know, I I am very lucky to uh be living with and uh in love with a person that I like spending time with. Um but like uh, the thought or like the idea of spending time with like a different person, like f- in, in physical proximity to another human being, it just feels so strange right now because <laughs> it's just so far outside my experience. Yeah, completely. Um, Mark, speaking of things that are so far outside my experience, my copy of Sonic Forces. Would you like to borrow it? Would you like to try to borrow it? You can. All you gotta do is email us at Nintendo Cartridge Society at, at gmail. gmail.com and give us a mailing address where so we can send it. Um, there's a possibility that uh, you will get a package that is not Sonic Forces. Um, it might be some sort of sabotaging goose and a game that goes with it, um, but that is a total, uh, total crap shoot. You've got no control over that. I've got no control over that. I've got some control over that, um, but you should still get involved, get on this list uh, and have fun or don't have fun. It continues Those are your options. to be.
1: Yep. Yeah, really. And, We hope that you choose to have fun, but as always with the Sonic Forces Borrowing Program, we can't force you.
0: No, no. Look, this is the thing about the Sonic Forces Borrowing Program. It can't tell you what to do at all. Have fun, don't have fun. Be sad, don't be sad. Play a game, don't play a game. Uh, these, These are not the program's calls to make. They are your calls to make. Um... It's a good program. Uh, we've talked it up enough. I think, uh, Mark, we should probably get into our topic at hand. Uh, we Look, we're, we're talking next generation features for Nintendo consoles. Now, Mark, why would we be doing this now? There's no new Nintendo thing coming out. <laughs> there is no
1: new Nintendo thing coming out. But as we are recording this, we are sandwiched between the launch of the new Xbox consoles and Mm -hmm. the PlayStation 5 in all of its iterations. There is so much next-gen stuff
0: happening right now. So what we wanted to do was we wanted to get in on some of that next-gen hype and visit some previous next-gens and talk about what sort of features... The, uh, obviously, all on the Nintendo side, but what sort of features meant that next-gen leap um, for each of us? Um, and, but before we like, get into like what that usually means for uh, Nintendo generations, um, I want to just like uh, talk about how Nintendo generational shifts are so different from the generational shifts of the two leading consoles right now, um, the uh, PlayStation and the Xbox, um, because for all of them, it feels like the, the the actual leaps between generation are almost exclusively in computing power and graphical prowess, right? Uh, and that everything else from like the form of, of uh, like the form and function of the machine is basically the same, and the biggest leaps come like within the generations. Yeah, I think that's a fair, a fair way to characterize that.
1: I think the one time that that wasn't the case, or that they attempted for that to not be the case, was with the Xbox One when it originally, you know, launched. I feel like they, in their own weird Microsoft way, were going for something that was much more Nintendo esque, where they were like, "Hey, a K- like Connect is going to be like a huge, important, primary focus of the Xbox One, and we're all about like." Being your living room hub and not just a game machine and like that tactic like didn't work at all And they spent the entire generation basically trying to undo all the stuff that they had done leading up to launch um you know connect was very quickly dropped and the stuff about it being a hub like that was also very quickly dropped um but no otherwise i think you're right like even going from you know the i think playstation very is a very clear example of that story. And Nintendo doesn't... Uh, sometimes chooses to play that game, maybe chose to play that game in the past, but more yeah. recently has not
0: shown a lot of interest in playing that game. Yeah, like in the last two decades, basically. Yeah. Um, not, not really playing that game at all. Uh, it, it is interesting to consider, like, how... I mean, every, every company, with, with the exception of Microsoft and Sony, which seem to have, like, the exact same uh, game plan, that like all the other companies uh, had like varying um, approaches to like every generation of you know like uh, Atari uh, like the main controller interface was different on a lot of those systems. Um, uh, the Sega went nuts uh, they had like divergent uh, paths of like next generation, which uh, did not end well for them. Um, and then Nintendo just did. Uh, I mean, it kind of did everything right. Like ev- between like splitting itself off into two different. Um, two different paths, one handheld and one, uh, console, um, and, like, them sort of following their own discrete paths and then somehow merging up, uh, with, with the Switch, uh, is all very strange, um, but kind of cool.
1: Yeah, next-gen stuff is always exciting. I feel like th- this one, for me, is coming at a weird time with, like, uh, leading up to this launch, there's so much focus on, you know, and continued focus on the U.S. election, and with, like, COVID-19, like, these launches are coming at such like a weird time but i think it's actually kind of like a boon for microsoft and sony that they are coming now
0: because we've just seen video games uh just like explode during the pandemic yeah, yeah people have been stuck at home and like what were you going to do at home anyway but play video games yeah. um it it is a uh, I, I, I will be interested to see uh like numbers when we start getting numbers on actually cuz it it certainly does seem like uh not everyone but a ton of people are buying Um, either the Xbox Series X or the PlayStation 5, um, and that a lot of people are also trying to, but are being constrained by um, the limited supply. I I wonder just how limited that supply actually is. You and I talked about this back in, like, um, February or something, that I was concerned um, that there wouldn't be enough uh, supply. um, uh, And I also said maybe even not enough demand, but this is before we really uh, understood, like, you know what coronavirus was going to do to uh, people's media diets, um, and, and therefore their spending on uh, you know entertainment stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it it I I will be very interested interested to see uh, how well these things actually sold. Obviously, they sell out, but like how many are they even able to make at this point?
1: Yeah, I, I feel like launch month is always kind of like a totally. uh, misnomer, right? Because you you're targeting the early adopters like the people who are going to pick one up no matter what because they're just like super invested in the product i think you know uh where we are in march will be just as interesting to learn
0: yeah totally um and also like you know this isn't that different from uh, the uh, playstation 3 wii uh generation um because both of those consoles were impossible to find when they came out yeah yeah Um, totally so like you know, it's, 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 it's the same thing. We just, uh, didn't have, uh, as widespread internet use, uh, documenting these things. So there you go. I mean, I, I sp- <laughs> this is a, a, a slight sidetrack, but I remember going to, this is when I was living in Appleton, Wisconsin, uh, and the, uh, switch came out, not the switch, the Wii came out. Um, and I would go to like two different Walmarts, two different targets, a Best Buy and a Toys R Us, a, like, For opening like uh, every every morning for like a week and a half, and then eventually I got a Wii. Like you had to like you had to put in some legwork. Yeah, I
1: mean I remember doing this similar thing for the Nintendo DS Lite when that was released. I was looking for like the Polar White one, and this was like the early days of like stores having their inventory listed online. So you know you could it would say that like hey this Target has it in stock, but it was even more hit and miss than it is now. And so I I did the same thing. I remember checking every day at like the target It was just a few blocks from me, hoping for like a shipment to come in before I finally got one.
0: This is uh this is our version of those uh you know, walking to school uphill both <laughs> ways in the snow with no shoes. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> that's that's the, that these are that that's our version of this. We had to check this is the early days of being able to check inventory <laughs> on the internet. Um, but so uh we're going to go through uh, every generational shift for Nintendo products. Uh, Mark, do you want to do all the consoles first and then all the handhelds? Or do you want to try and approach it all chronologically? What do you think in here?
1: Mm, I could do it either way. The way I have my list broken out is um, by consoles and then handhelds. But
0: if we wanted like intermingle, I'm sure we could figure it out. Um, no, I like I like. Uh, let let's do consoles up to the Wii U and then do handhelds and then uh just talk about and then do do finish with the switch sounds great okay so the first generational shift for nintendo handheld or nintendo home consoles uh is of course the nes to the super nes um mark would you like to go first and say what what you found to be the like defining uh new feature for that shift
1: yeah and uh <clears throat> so when i was thinking of these i have to kind of like preamble this because Patrick and I haven't conferred lists at all. And so I don't know how like each of us approach this. For me, some of it was like looking back on it where it's like, okay, now when I think about like my experience with that console, what really stands out compared to like the one before it?
0: And so yeah. I,
1: I think like there's a lot that you could say for like the leap from the NES to the SNES. I think um, you know, like the S N E S with those sixteen bits, you were really able to see in my opinion, like, um the full vision of what people who worked on like 8-bit games like it felt like they had this much bigger playground to play with and so we saw like those same ideas but just elaborated to I feel like their fullest you know just mm-hmm. like um with the Final Fantasy games or with uh, the original Legend of Zelda and compared to A Link to the Past where it's like we're playing with like these brand new tools that allow us to like show our vis- vision in such high fidelity but the thing that uh, looking back like standing stands out to me as I think such a big generational shift from the NES to the Super NES is the sound chip that was in the Super Nintendo.
0: Rad, rad. Because what a good the, point.
1: The music from the Super Nintendo is something that like sticks with me so much and not just the compositions, not that the music itself, but the way that like it's based around samples and the Super Nintendo has such a distinct sound like it always kind of sounds like it's being played underwater, and you know it has like just these really unique samples, like this weird, like these weird, like farty sounds that sound like a pig is being stepped on. That yep. like the way I'm describing it, not appealing, but when you hear it, you're like, yeah, that is a hundred percent the sound sweet, of sweet, beautiful Nintendo. music. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: that 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 is interesting, especially from like the the evolution from the NES, which also has you know a, a very distinct uh, sound chipset that like you hear an NES and you know that it's an NES, right? Like, it just sounds like that. Um, but it's, uh, in both graphics and sound, it does feel like the Super NES is able to take, is able to, uh, like, release some of the um, responsibility or, like, the the weight placed on abstraction. Like, you know, the uh, a tiny sprite in the original Final Fantasy barely looks like the thing it's trying to represent, right? Um, right. By, the time, by the time you get to the Super NES ones, it actually does look like the thing. Ditto, like, the string noises uh, that you know, that are supposed to be like a violin or a cello or whatever, they don't even come close on the NES. And it actually can, like, the thing can sound like the thing and the thing can look like the thing. So I, I think that's, that's a, a really well-observed point there. Mark. It's also something
1: that, like, uh, I, I, I don't think that, those days were better um because obviously you know being able to have like streaming audio and full orchestrations yeah like adds a lot to a game but there is something very unique to the time back then where every console had a distinct sound that you can like clearly identify because it was working from like discrete technology like uh there's something really cool about that i don't think it's better but there is something that's like very cool
0: Yeah, there's something very cool about, like, hearing a piece of music and being like, is this from Genesis? And you're like, yes, it absolutely is. Well, especially (laughs) when... Nothing else that makes it sound.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Especially when, like, we were talking about, like, a lot of the newer consoles right there. It is just about, like, everybody's kind of doing the same thing. And they have, like, different ways of approaching the problem of, like, uh, bigger games. But back then it was like, no, like, uh, we've crafted our console and it does this very unique, like, sound thing. And none of the other ones are going to do this.
0: You, you have to make your thing play our instrument. <laughs> yeah, that's all there is to it. Um, Mark, I, I maybe went a, a little bit simpler with this one, and I feel almost a little bit silly reducing the uh, Super NES um, to this. But buttons, baby. There are just more buttons on this controller. Um, I'm not counting the start and select buttons, because why would you ever count those as actual buttons? <laughs> those are like administrative buttons. if we remove those, the number of buttons increases by 200 percent. You will never see another generational leap where there are that many more <laughs> buttons on the new controller and it's just like uh, uh, all that does is facilitate you know more interaction uh, more choices in in your gaming um, and like it it sort of like opens up to a greater variety of types of games that you can play. Um, on the uh, on on the Super NES, um, so yeah, for for me for me it's just buttons. Also, pioneering those uh, the bumpers like that's incredible. Um, something that has obviously been replicated, and the sort of like a cross formation of uh, buttons on the uh, for for the right thumb, um, like that's that's on everything now. You know, like we've added thumbsticks and um, and triggers, but like that's it. And, like, that's not that much to add <laughs> in the last, I don't know, uh, 25, 30 years.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a really good one. I like that a lot. I like the fact that um, the, when you think, it is completely crazy to me, thinking back on it, that it wasn't until the Nintendo DS that we got four face buttons on a yeah. por- portable system. Like, that the Game Boy Advance still only has an A and B button is it's super outrageous crazy, especially when you think that they were porting Super Nintendo games to the Game Boy Advance but it is something that you take for granted like uh it's we've never seen Nintendo use like that super branding ever again but the Super Nintendo truly was like a super version of the NES from like totally it, graphics from sound from to the controller like it felt like a huge update you know it wasn't like a in some ways, it was a refinement, not to keep like comparing it to modern consoles, but yes. you know with like the but the that's Xbox probably the closest. controller and like the PlayStation controller, those have generally been the same for like two or three generations now, and we continue to see refinements. but going from the NES to the Super Nintendo, like that felt like a generational leap
0: yeah, Well, and it's it, it is interesting like the the biggest i I think leap in PlayStation controllers happened in the PlayStation, like in the original PlayStation One generation with the introduction of the, of the dual shock, like that happened towards the end of its life cycle uh, and not like actually with a generational change, which is uh, a, you know, a, a weird little quirk of uh, what happened there with Sony. Well, speaking
1: of which, should we move on to the SNES to N64 to Nintendo 64? Let's do
0: it. Um, I'm going to go first this time. Um, Minus uh, still very controller related um this is rumble pack baby this is the first time that we are getting controller feedback um and that is again uh industry standard now but also something that nintendo continues to innovate on um and uh you know the with hd rumble and actually like designing uh minigame functions around um the ability to tell how many ice cubes there are in the whatever uh, marbles are they ice cubes who knows who cares um but it's, I mean, like, HD Rumble uh, is is one of those things that now on Switch uh, is, like, touted as one of the things that, like, is added to an, uh, an indie game or something that's being ported over there. Um, and you can tell that all of that is, like, that all traces its origins back to the original Rumble pack, which was uh, packed in with Star Fox 64. Um, because they were just trying to do whatever they could to make that experience uh, more immersive and different. Um, and, like, Truly, it's not that different of a gameplay experience than uh, the Star Fox on Super Nintendo. Um, But, like, everything that they can do to, like, make it feel like something more than just lights and sounds coming from a screen, um, that feedback, uh, you know, starts there, starts at the Nintendo 64.
1: My uh, N64 one is also controller-related, and this one is the analog stick. Oh, that analog stick! Um, yeah, so uh, analog stick, obviously, like the first time that I think the first time it ever showed up in like a home console, it's crazy now how much we take these like analog sticks for, um granted. It's also crazy that Nintendo was the one to introduce the analog stick because uh, we like we didn't get true dual analog from them until what, like the Wii with the pro controller. I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, which is just, which is, like, wild. But, it, like, the analog stick was uh, such a huge, like, revolution in game controllers that, like you said, Sony mid-generation was like, oh, crap. <laughs> we have to, like, oh, we, have we to need just to do ch- this. <laughs> we just have yeah. to, like, change what controller we're using.
0: Yeah, Oh, it's, I mean, this, the Nintendo 64 controller is such a strange beast. Uh, and it was clearly just designed for Super Mario 64. Um, and then also had this like D-pad hanging off the end of it, um, which is still just such, such an insane design, but like the C buttons, the camera buttons, they actually do control the camera um, and like, you know, do a, a kind of effective job. I know, obviously uh, we've, we've talked about the Mario 64 uh, camera in the past, um, but like, between those camera buttons and the uh, analog stick, like that thing was designed to work with that game. Yeah, it's just, uh, the N64 controller is
1: bonkers. Like it's super crazy. You look at one, it doesn't make any sense how you're supposed to hold it. Like what, it is not intuitive, I think, other than like having that analog stick and you can imagine like Mario running around with it. But for like Nintendo taking their Like first shots or anybody to nintendo being the first company to take shots in any of this stuff like it's remarkable how well how well it does work like yeah Yeah. i was playing mario 64 on 3d all stars and i have a bunch of complaints about it but when you think that like they were the first ones doing it you're it there's a lot more grace to be given because you're like well that's kind of remarkable that you were able you were able to get as close as you were
0: Mark, I think interesting to note that neither of us brought up the move into 3D um, here. And I, I don't, it, is it because that is a, is that, like, why? Why is that? Why is it that neither of us want to talk about, like, the jump into 3D? Um, is it because there are a lot of stumbling blocks here? Or is it because, like, this is where other um, companies start to, like, show themselves to be stronger at something that Nintendo is doing? Why, why aren't we talking about this? No, uh, so for me, I think what it is, I mean, one, like,
1: it is very clear that one of the big leaps from the Super Nintendo sure. to the N64 is into, like, 3D graphics. But I also think that, for me, some of some of it is just that, like, graphics are not something that Nintendo has prioritized. Like, yeah. uh, the, in, the um, in modern times, in the past, yeah. it mattered a ton. And that, like, you know, 64 bits, it was a big enough selling point that it was in the name. Even though, as a kid, I had no idea what, like, that meant. And still probably could not accurately tell you what it means that it had 64 bits. Um, so uh, yeah, What, the, a, that what that
0: a great point. Does, do the bits at that point even matter? Because it's, really, it's processing polygons at that point, right? Like <laughs> Yeah.
1: Like, I don't know. I couldn't tell you. I don't know. But it just seems like now, like, looking back on it, that it is, for sure, 3D was a huge deal but like nintendo deprioritizes like graphical uh, mm-hmm. prowess and so i th- i guess i'm just taking my cues from them yeah
0: <laughs> but i mean they they did do a good job of like uh putting their franchises that were traditionally 2D into 3D like that is something and even as i'm saying it like really just with zelda and mario like ev- everything else was pretty much staying the course like star fox was uh 3D before uh, everything else kind of stayed 2D. So I I, I don't know. Maybe 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 that's why is that the the only real examples are are Mario and Zelda. Um. Okay, Mark. The next uh, generational leap from Nintendo 64 to GameCube. What do you have as the next gen feature? So for me, this one,
1: the GameCube was the console where like the promise of the N64, the promise of those three. 3D games could finally take form. Like, I think yeah. that the GameCube is really, like, truly the start of, like, modern, the GameCube generation. So, GameCube, Xbox, PlayStation 2, like, that is the start of modern games and really, like, the foundation of modern games. Like, in order for, like, you were saying, like, in order for Nintendo to bring some of their titles from the Super Nintendo to, uh the N64, they did have to make compromises or at least they had to like cheat it a little bit, right? Like it wasn't true 3D. Like Mario Kart 64, those are 2D sprites essentially, um that give you the illusion of 3D. But that was no longer the case with the GameCube. Like they were able to take the ambitions in the M64 and like uh actually fulfill them to give you these like fully rendered worlds. Same with like I feel like uh Smash Brothers is another great example. You know, like, totally. the Smash Brothers on the N64 is feels like a tech demo compared to Smash Brothers Melee, and all the other Smash Brothers games are really, like, iterating on Melee more than they are, like, the original. And that, yeah, to me, 100%. is, like, the GameCube is, like, the fulfillment of, like, the promise of the 3D that started in the N64 era.
0: That's interesting. I hadn't really thought that the, uh, the GameCube is sort of the super Nintendo 64. Like that it is just taking what, what it was sort of like they were messing around with and being like, okay, no, but here's what it looks like. You know, like here's, here's the real thing. Um, I went a slightly different path with this, um, and I said that this is about the, this is where the console generation connects and marries itself to the handheld. Um, so the GameCube had a bunch of different functionality with the Game Boy Advance and with Game Boy Advance games. Um, there is the, uh, the Game Boy Player, which was a thing that you could kind of like put under your GameCube um, and then play uh, Game Boy Advance games on your TV, um, which had sort of been done with the Super Game Boy on the um, on the Super NES. Um, but that was really more like to get more mileage out of the like color upscaling that the Game Boy Color was capable of. Um, and just like, here's one more way for them to to sell it. Um, here it's, you know, it's it's the real deal. You can play any uh, GBA games on your TV, any Game Boy games. Uh, so there's all of that. And then there's also the Four Swords Adventure stuff of being able to control and um, Final Fantasy, Crystal Chronicles, uh, where you are physically connecting your Game Boy Advance to your GameCube to uh, play games with everyone having their own little uh, screen in front of them. Um, and this, uh, like, it's it's so interesting to me how much... Uh, like, the, the the paths for the Nintendo consoles are sort of divergent, but keep sort of, like, tagging up with each other. Um, and this is one place where it just, like, tags up really hard. And, you know, this, the Game Boy Advance, which is basically just, like, a portable Super Nintendo, with fewer buttons, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, also uh, is, like, a GameCube controller. Like, it's so weird.
1: Yeah, that is really cool. And I like the way that you're describing it, where it's, yeah, it's like a... Uh, an infinity pattern, basically, where yes, these like the Nintendo consoles like converge, but then they we always keep coming back to like the same singular point in like a good way, in an iterative way.
0: Yes. Um. Okay, so the the next the next uh, generation here is the GameCube to the Wii. Um, Mark, I will go first this time. Uh, for me, this was about changing changing the gaming experience to a personalized experience. Um, and that is, you know, present in, you know, what you select for, like, your uh, news channels to follow. Um, the weather is set to where you are. Um, but mostly, this comes in the form of mes. You make mes because you want to see yourself in the game. And, you know, otherwise, like, you're playing Wii Sports and, like, who's who are these characters? And you're playing Wii Sports with everyone. You're playing it with every friend you have. You're playing it with your mom. You're playing it with grandma. You're playing it with your friends' parents when they come over. um, Like, and you are just populating this thing with Miis that look like the people from your life. And then Nintendo wasn't content to just be like, yeah, those will be in sport or Wii Sports and that's it. They show up in, like, Mario Kart. Just, like, hanging out in the background. um, And, like, it, they are a constant presence um, and a, a constant, like, uh, you know, proof that the game has been customized to your very specific experience. Um, and like, I, I know, uh, you know, Xbox, uh, maybe a little later um, in like the 360 generation started doing like those avatars, but I don't think those avatars ever like showed up in like regular games, like maybe in connect specific things or, or stuff like that. But like Nintendo would just put them everywhere. Your friends and family are in not all your games, but a lot of your games.
1: Yeah, one of the uh not Wii specific, but Mii's were such like a fun part of Nintendo that once when they're like missing from the Switch and missing in quotes because they're like they're there, there. right? You you can use them occasionally, but just like man, I loved on the uh Nintendo three DS like the Mii Plaza and just being able to, like... We will get to the 3DS. Okay, We okay. will get that, Mark. I promise you, we'll have an opportunity yeah, to discuss Just, like, that. plus one to Mies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, for my Wii one, I, of course, want to tip my hat to motion controls. That uh, is, like, obviously a huge, important piece that had seismic implications for the industry. Yes. Um, but it's not the one I want to talk about. What I... Uh, <laughs> I feel like it's a little bit, like, moving to 3D for the N64, where you're, like, Okay. Yes. That obviously, yes, obviously was a huge done. deal, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I want to talk about something else. And for me, that is the virtual console. Um, Oh yes. Something that has cut, that has gone away in some respects. Um, but, uh, in, or like in that specific form, but that idea of having access to a library of older Nintendo titles is something that is for me, like pretty magical. Like, um, the ability to play like these. Old games, uh, for the on the virtual console to be able to experience games that like were showing up in a, the U.S. for the first time, like Sin and Punishment, like all that kind of stuff, I thought was so cool. And I, uh, I like, I still miss having a virtual console on Switch, even though I enjoy the um things that they've done to replace it, like the NES Online and the SNES Online. But yeah, just having the access to all of those library titles, not just from Nintendo, but from a bunch
0: of third parties
1: was such yeah, like a, a ton. cool, amazing feature.
0: It was also like, right. It, it came out at like the, the perfect time for that too, where like we were just far enough away from like the, uh, the NES and the SNES that like your hardware was probably starting to, uh, you know, stop working or like games were hard to find or like will cost a lot of money because they're rare or whatever. Um, and like, it was just the right relationship between um, you couldn't access them anymore but you wanted to experience them again. Um, and then also like fairly recent stuff, like I, I played the original Paper Mario um, on the uh, Wii Virtual Console, like right when it came out, um, or like maybe within the year of the, the Wii coming out. Um, and like, you know, that was a great, like full game experience at a time when like, you weren't really downloading full games anywhere, right? Like even that was a little bit of a novelty. Um, the fact that they were old games were just kind of like uh, you know cool icing on the top
1: yeah I mean you're 100% right like when the Wii was coming out and the virtual console started it was the perfect sweet spot for that NES like 20-year nostalgia cycle because at that point yeah you were like almost exactly 20 years out from the release
0: of like Super Mario Brothers yeah and you know like it's funny like I, I, I associate the GameCube with some of the um, like, collections of older games that, that I bought on it. Like, there, there was a Mega Man collection. Um, there was also maybe a Mega Man X collection as well. And a Sonic the Hedgehog uh, collection that I really liked. And I think had Sonic 3 on it, which may be the last time that um, Sonic 3 was, uh, like, collected on something. Uh, but in, in, in any event, uh, it was just nice to have these things, like, kind of piecemeal. And, like, you could buy what you wanted instead of, you know, uh, buying eight games you didn't. So you could get one that you did. Um. All right, Mark, next up is the Wii to the Wii U. Can you do this one? This is a tricky no, one.
1: No, so I, I, this was when I was taking like a kind of like minor Nintendo sabbatical. So I don't really, I never owned a Wii U. I'm kind of bowing out of this one. So I'm interested to hear what you have.
0: So I, I just put that this is like Nintendo committing to the idea or uh, sort of acknowledging the reality that we live in a high-definition world um, and that the box just needs to be stronger. Um, And, you know, it's not something that, you know, we we talk a lot that, like, Nintendo is not trying to keep up on the the same metrics that uh, everyone else is. But this is one point where they were like, okay, but we do have to keep up somehow. Like, we have to get close to what everyone else is doing uh, and so, like, the high-definition thing and also, like, trying to incorporate um, itself explicitly into, um, like, other entertainment media. Um, remember, the the Wii U originally sold itself as, like, a TV companion mm-hmm. where you could watch, like, your cable TV and, like, uh, you know, flag shows and stuff and, like, have a second-screen experience using the Wii U gamepad. Which all, like, sounds kind of neat, but is also, like, you know, why you have a phone. Like, you you can use a phone and a regular remote controller to just uh, have, have that experience. But like, I don't know, one of the things I remember being really cool about uh, the early days of the Wii U was using it as a remote control for my TV. Like I would turn the TV on from the Wii U gamepad, which is, is that stupid? 100%. But like it was trying to incorporate <laughs> itself into the living room in the same way that, uh, you know, the Xbox One was um, with Kinect. And just like Kinect, that didn't work. Um, but it's sort of the the commitment to being technologically sound and having the capacity to do HD graphics and stuff that I think, you know, Nintendo obviously needed to do. Um, game releases were kind of slow during that time, partially because Nintendo was like, oh, shoot, it takes a lot of time and effort and money to develop for HD. And, like, they cut their teeth on it then, and now now they're, like, up to speed and can actually do it. Um, on uh, Switch and, you know, wh- whatever uh, c- comes after that. But I really think it's uh, the Wii U is, is, like, the power generation.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. Like, you're right that the Wii U is such, like, a teething console for Nintendo. Yeah. So, it was, like, it was kind of painful, but, like, had to go through it. Because um, with, like, you're right, with, like, HD graphics, it was a total, like, catch-up generation. But then also, you know, like, with the the gamepad... And how it was like so close to delivering on the promise of the switch, like so close I to know. being able to like play games you know like in a handheld mode and also on the t v like it does it, but just it's not quite to the level that like where it's free of the restrictions of like the technology, and uh yeah, so a lot of like the painful groundwork that from the Wii u would pay off
0: with the switch for sure, yeah, i mean it it the the Wii Wii u and Switch, like that trio of consoles is so interesting. Um, Cause like, you know, we, we've talked uh, you know already about how a bunch of these consoles are really just like leveled up versions of the, the previous one. Uh, and in a way, the Wii U is just a leveled up Wii. Like it is doing that, but it's also trying a couple of things and like the other stuff that it tries, um, like it's the early version of that, you know? So like th- they're still taking on the sort of like toyetic aesthetic, of the Wii remotes, something that's like plastic and like a toy and sort of building it into the gamepad. And the gamepad can't feel like a toy. It has to feel like technology, which is what the Switch feels like. Um, but we are going to get to what the Switch to from the uh, Wii U to the Switch uh, means after we do the handhelds. Um, so Mark, um, I, I realize only now that we did not specify whether we are starting with game boy to game boy color or game boy to game boy advance so uh what what did you do i skipped over the game boy color i went straight from the um game boy
1: to the game game boy My Advance. <laughs> i think game boy color we can acknowledge the big advancement color
0: color yep very good very good also just uh, you know came, came alongside a uh, a nice just like hardware revision in general um and obviously now I can't remember the actual chronology of, did the Game Boy Pocket come out before the Game Boy Color? Was the Game I Boy don't Color Pocket? I think so. I think they were contemporaries maybe around okay. the same time. I've,
1: there's no way to know. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. Um, okay, so should I start with my Game Boy to Game Boy Advance? Okay, so mine uh, advancement that I want to call out for the Game Boy Advance is backwards compatibility.
0: Very good.
1: So the Game Boy Advance could play Game Boy carts, um, just like every single one, every single one. And so it's something that we kind of take for granted now, even even though it wasn't until the uh, Wii generation that Nintendo consoles started being backwards compatibility, backwards compatible. And something that you can't take for granted because, like with the Switch, like it doesn't, it's not always going to, you know, be that way as technology changes. But the handhelds Nintendo is from the beginning fairly consistently just uh had
0: backwards compatibility which is pretty remarkable yeah that every every generation especially uh from the Game Boy Advance to the DS that's the one where it's like insane that there's like it just like a big plug that you can pull <laughs> out so you can jam a, a GBA card in there yeah um so for me, and it's, it's, I think it's also really smart uh, that they did backwards compatibility for that. And I wonder if a lot of that is driven by Pokemon. Um, I, I, a lot of oh, the advancements in, in handhelds are probably driven by Pokemon and what they either, what, what audiences they need to continue to be able to serve um, and, you know, what, what audiences uh, are sort of demanding. Um, Cause like, you know, people were still playing, uh, you know, gold and silver um, to say nothing of red and blue and yellow um, when the the gba came out and would continue to like you know that's they it's a competitive scene you yeah know? no that's a really good point because like the
1: game boy advance also supported link cables so you could yes. use like game boy link cables on the game boy advance and i'm sure you're right that they that that was brought forward for pokemon because what other game would like really require it i mean later the game boy advance would get like the um wireless wa- accessory that you could like transfer yeah. Pokemon yeah, yeah. and stuff wirelessly, but yeah, it always supported the link cable as well.
0: Um, so I for the Game Boy to Game Boy Advance uh, uh generational leap, I wrote non arcade experiences, and I guess this can also just be sort of applied to non handheld game experiences. Um, I, I think that there is there's obviously a lot of great stuff on the original Game Boy. And some truly deep experiences, um, like the uh, the uh, Mana game, what is it, Final Fantasy Legend, um, or no Final Fantasy Adventure, also Final Fantasy Legend, um, also the original Pokemon games. Um, but you know, for for the most part, um, the original Game Boy games are all sort of like very good game and watch experiences. You know, like they're uh they're single side scrolling or like you know falling block puzzle or arcanoid or whatever you know there, there's just there there's so many of the original game boy experiences that are quick they are meant to be like handheld bite sized sort of things uh, and then you move on to uh, another another experience even something like super mario land is a short game right um and in the game boy advance that's when they're like no you know what forget it it's just a video game machine so like put games on it put you know uh uh put uh the the minish cap on there start uh, porting the Super Nintendo Final Fantasy games you know let's uh, all, all of that um it just becomes a much uh like deeper uh, experience that they expect you to be in for longer
1: yeah like uh just like we saw with the NES to SNES the ambition from like the 8 bit games yeah. and what was possible in that like 8 bit system on 16 bit system like was doubly true on the Game Boy to Game Boy Advance, because the Game Boy was, like, such ancient, ancient technology by the time that the Game Boy Advance came out. So, like, uh, the difference between what you could achieve on a Game Boy versus a Game Boy Advance was staggering.
0: Yeah. And, uh, I mean, like, just truly staggering. And uh, also, like, considering, like, your original Game Boy took four AA batteries. Four! Four! The, the Game Boy Advance ran on two um, and, you know, lasted for a, as long. I, I, I guess I don't totally remember. I have a Game Boy Advance in the other room. It has the same batteries it's had in it since I lived in Chicago. Like, <laughs> I hope it's still okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, so from the Game Boy Advance to the DS, this is a big generational leap. Lots of things are different here. And maybe not even fair to consider them uh the even the same line of things like you know, it, it came out while well, the GBA was still thriving, um, and Nintendo was touting at that point a third pillar. Um, but for me, for me, the uh biggest innovation here is just touch. Um, touch control, being able to draw on that bottom screen. Um, and you know, I either uh, it, it just it just changes the the types of games that you can play. Um, you know, so, suddenly you're you're playing games where you are writing things. Um, uh, identifying numbers, circling stuff, um, and it's just, uh, it it just, it just changes the game entirely. What you can do with it, um, you know, may not seem remarkable now in an era where we all have touch screens on everything, but especially on the phones that we have in our pockets all the time. Um, but it wasn't the case then. Uh, and and the, it for me, it is the touch that transformed the DS. Yeah, and it was really cool to see
1: like how that, like, touch ability was used, right? Like, um, Zelda, t- like, the Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks both, like, took advantage of it. Um, and then you have, like, completely different ways of using it, like Professor Layton or the brain training games or that yep. ninja gating game where, like, you had to hold it sideways like a
0: book. Like, like a book, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. which is also like Brain Age, too, where you were holding it sideways like a book. Um, Mark, do you remember there there were two different Mario games. It must've been new super Mario brothers and super Mario brothers 64 on, on the DS um, that had just like a set of mini games in it that were all touch-based. Do you remember these? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, sure. I I played the heck out of those and they're just, you know, they are time wasters for sure, but like are super fun and it's all touch-based.
1: My pick for uh, the DS is Nintendo Wi Fi connection. Yes. Heart- huge. Yeah. Heart. Huge, hard to believe that like the first Nintendo hardware that had, uh, like a networking app that used Wi-Fi or that you could like connect with friends was yes. the Nintendo DS. Um, the GameCube had LAN abilities, so technically you could like LAN a bunch of systems together and play Mario Kart on it. I am sure that it happened at some point, but like I never knew anybody. Well, I never knew anybody who who also owned a GameCube, so it was yeah, fair enough. <laughs> it wasn't really a possibility. Um, but yeah, like I, I have so many fond memories of playing Mario Kart DS. Still, one of my favorite Mario Kart games. Um, and part of that was because of Nintendo Wi-Fi connection and being able to like race people online using a handheld felt so yes. novel and like so of the future.
0: Yeah, I remember going to. The this is while, while I was in college, uh, my friend Siri and I both had uh, DSs, and we would go to like the local coffee shop because it had like it had wireless, and we would uh you know race on, in Mario Kart online, her on her uh pink uh DS light and me on my uh Glacier White DS White uh DS Lite. Um, man, it was just it's it, it, it felt like the future, you know.
1: Well, this is another one of those like hey work uh where you realize like how long ago the ds was because like wi-fi at the time was available but it still was not like ubiquitous um even in homes so nintendo also released like a um adapter that basically you could plug into your computer and so if your computer had internet then it would like broadcast and turn it into like a a wi-fi hotspot that your ds could pick up on and like it would that was Oh, a way that a lot of people were able to like make that connection and so the fact that like Nintendo who was kind of derided in the GameCube era towards the end of the GameCube era for not having like an Xbox Live equivalent is that sort of to come online with like Halo 2 um to go from that jumping all the way to the Nintendo DS where they're like hey we're like just a straight up wi-fi company was uh
0: pretty forward thinking of them. Yeah absolutely. Um, and then uh so for for the next uh, generation leap, I'm just going to expand on this, uh, but from the d s to the three d s um what I've chosen to focus on here is of course not the actual- not the glasses list uh three d <laughs> um but uh the constant connectivity, asynchronous multiplayer, and street pass. um I don't think there has been a Nintendo system uh ever as like insistent on its own like connection to the internet as the 3ds. Um, you know it comes built in with a bunch of games that uh, just want you to carry the thing around so it can acknowledge the existence of other 3dss out in the wild um, it's it's a whole suite of little games that you can play with your mees with other people's mees, with stats that you borrow from other people that you're walking by. It's incredible and also just to consider the like the multiplayer uh, like that's sort of built in, to 3DS game experiences. Uh, I I know uh, neither of us have ever played Metroid Prime Federation Forces, uh, but like that and uh, Triforce Heroes, Legend of Zelda, um, are both games that came out like pretty late that require you to play with other people. Um, Like Nintendo doesn't do that. I guess like Splatoon is maybe the, the counter example, but that's got a very like sort of easy to understand, like you just drop in and like, you know, play against people sort of, like that, that that's all very obvious. The 3DS was not obvious, uh, but it just wanted you to be connecting with people. It wanted you to be borrowing their information. It wanted you to let other people borrow uh, your information. Even something like Smash, um, Super Smash Brothers on uh, for uh, 3DS had like a weird like Pog-esque um, like mini game that you could play that uh, you picked up like other people's Street Pass information and. It was very strange. there was like a flicking component to it. Did you ever play this thing?
1: <laughs> no, no.
0: it was very weird um and, and uh didn't didn't make uh, a whole lot of sense. It wasn't super fun but uh the just the the insistence on this connectivity and the sort of asynchronous multiplayer um is uh so unique on 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 the three d s so that's my generational leap
1: yeah i um the I'm sad that when I had an or I still have my Nintendo 3DS, but I am sad that I don't live in a place where I like had to commute a bunch, or not commute, but like on a train or be in a yes. place where like lots of people were Um, because getting, the only time that I ever really got to like experience that joy was when I was traveling through an airport. And so, yes. you know, like I would have my 3DS on in, in sleep mode in my backpack uh, while I was traveling in airports just because I knew that that was my best chance of getting... Uh, like other me's through Street Pass, um, yep. but also like to your point of like an, the 3DS being built as a system that wants it wants you to like interact with other people, and it is totally a portable that wants you to take it places because it even had like a pedometer in it. Like you got yeah, that's rewards right. for for like taking steps during the day. It was a system that like wanted you to be on the move.
0: Yeah, that's it's it's so interesting, man. I wish. I wish I had been in some kind of school when that thing came out. That would have been. Yeah. Um, it would have been such a fun, like college thing would have been like a great high school. Oh my gosh. It would have been fun.
1: My pick for the 3DS. Uh, it goes back to controls. It goes back to the circle pad. Um, yeah, it, circle pad bro. <laughs> the, again, the, like we uh, are talking about a Nintendo console within the past, you know, like 10 years. And that is the first one that had any sort of like wow. analog control on a handheld. Um it was a big deal. It was still just kind of a half step, but I think like as we're converging um here at the end of this discussion, uh it's kind of an appropriate
0: place to land. Uh yeah, no that 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 is so interesting. And also the the control scheme for the 3DS is very strange, right? Cuz it's got the two sets of uh it's got like bumpers and triggers but they're not really triggers it's just like another set of bumpers um and like the new 3ds has like that little nub that like can only be used in a couple games as like kind of a joystick the the circle pad is also weird um because like nothing else uses uh input Mm -hmm. like that like it's not quite an analog stick um and then you know obviously it still had like the the touch and like sound inputs like everything else um and also the, the two cameras on the front so it could take three D pictures. Like, there was just a lot of weird stuff going on there. A lot of weird ways to uh give that device information.
1: It it had a little bit of the Wii U problem that we talked about during our like review of E3 conferences. And like the Wii U reveal was like you could tell it was just them throwing stuff at the wall and like even they weren't sure what was gonna stick. And the three D S they came in with a very clear vision of like, hey, um, it's glassesless 3D, it's glassesless 3D, but they also like, like you're saying, like there was so much stuff else in the system that they're like, we're including it. It doesn't seem like we have a really, we really have a plan for what like the value proposition of this stuff is,
0: but it's going to be there. So, speaking of like uh, uh, lots of extra features and like possibly valueless propositions, we have not yet mentioned dual screen experiences. Um, as like core to uh, an, any of these games, even though it was a uh, a feature of the Wii U, the DS and the 3DS, and has not been a feature of any other console or handheld.
1: That's true. I was, in my mind, I was kind of, uh, when you gave the nod on the DS to the touchscreen, I was kind of uh counting mm, that counting as that. talking about the dual screen experience. Although I, you know, like, they're not exactly the the same thing some games use like the bottom screen for stuff that didn't necessarily require touch or at least the touch was like um not like a core component of it but uh yeah i mean that's a good point it did leave a really big mark on a good chunk of like modern nintendo and something that it doesn't seem like we're going to have any like elaboration on in the future.
0: Which means that a lot of games are going and versions of games are going to be sort of stranded on those platforms for maybe ever. Yeah. Um it's it's the, the the biggest loss there, and this is uh so uh stupid uh and easily uh like navigated around, but like Zelda games, three D Zelda games benefited so much from putting the entirety of your menu on the uh the, the lower screen and you could just interact with it. And then, like, glance back up at the at the main screen and just keep playing, like the uh, the uh, uh, Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask 3D remakes, um, and uh, the ones on Wii U, um, Wind Twilight Waker Princess, and Twilight and Wind Princess. Princess, yeah, um, we're just like it's it's it is my preferred way to interact with a, a Zelda game and its menus, uh, and we're never gonna <laughs> we're never gonna see that again. Yeah,
1: I mean, I've got to admit, as much as I am jo- enjoy playing. Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I sure miss the honk button.
0: Oh, love that big honk button. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that that's what it was. Yeah, I mean it was it was also frequently like the thing that ruined a game. The uh the Diddy Kong Racing port for DS um had these little uh like mini games at the start of every race uh that were just like the, you know, get off the starting line fast. Um like a the boost at the beginning of Mario mm-hmm. Kart. Um and it depended on what vehicle you were in, what the game was. But there was like one of it, I think for the hovercraft, where you had to like, s- like use the stylus to like draw a circle as fast as you could um, to like get the propeller going. And then like, then you boost it off the thing and then you had the stylus in your hand, but you need to like throw it away to like start <laughs> actually playing the game normally. It was it, it was a total mess. All right, Mark. That brings us, of course, to the Switch. Now, how did you consider this? Did you consider this the Wii U to the Switch, the 3DS to the Switch? What, what, what how, how did you approach this? Yeah,
1: the, uh, this one I found challenging. Kind of what I went back to was Nintendo's uh, Switch reveal presentation from January of 2017. And, um, you know, at, at the time and when we were rewatching it, at the end of our e3 like historical reviews um it was t- it was a part of the presentation that i kind of laughed at but it i i it's hard for me to pinpoint one specific thing basically because i really do feel like the switch is a convergence of uh, like so much of nintendo's consoles like it's it's yes it's taking from so many of these like generational leaps and putting it into a single system
0: yeah a- a- absolutely um i i i i chose freedom here that like the and this is something that we talked about when we did our um if this year was the year of luigi what else have what other years of nintendo and 2017 uh just being the year of freedom because you play the switch and you play it however you want you play it in front of your you play it on the tv you play it at the park you play it on the bus whatever and the first big game you're playing on it is the legend of zelda the ultimate like play it how you want, travel and explore what directions you want to, prioritize uh, whatever equipment you want to, play the game the way you want to play it. And then later that year, uh, still within, like, the sort of expanded launch window of Mario Odyssey being in there too, like, it just, the Switch is all about you being able to have the experience with it that you want. Um, And, like, remarkably, uh, between Nintendo's uh, amazing first-party support, especially in the first, like, three ish years of of the thing being out um and uh I- indie games like indie games just work so well on this thing and sell so well on this thing that it is like a thriving platform for them so like you can play whatever kind of games you want uh on the switch they're all there um you know w- with the exception of like the big triple a stuff coming out of like the other game studios um and I guess that is a a, a pretty big exception but there's just there's there are a lot of opportunities to play a lot of different things a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's, like, I have the same, for, for what I'm about to say, which is that the Switch is a system that feels like it has few compromises. Like, I won't say no compromises, because, Absolutely. you know, like, because it it, it does, and it doesn't have, like, the power to run, like, a uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey or something like that, right? And so that is for sure something that it is limited at. But but at the same token, you look back on a lot of these consoles, and they are Nintendo making like trade-offs, right? They're saying no, we are going to prioritize uh, A over B, X over Y, and the Switch feels like um, like less of a compromised system. It feels like they have like made those choices in the past, and now like they don't so much have to like say okay, because we're focusing on this, we're not paying attention to this. The Switch kind of feels like it has. It all caveat other than like the power to run like a lot of these like third party games, but I think it'll get there to a point eventually. Maybe not the switch itself, yeah. but like the iterations on it,
0: yeah. And that's uh, that's sort of what I'm expecting now. And when I say now, I mean within the next couple of years of like, um, you know, th- there will be some sort of iteration on the switch, and like that's going to be a stronger version of it that can more closely. Uh, kind of just do what the uh, console generation that is disappearing now um, can do. But uh, it'll what the thing that it'll start to be able to do is incorporate now like a new line of backwards compatibility. Um, you know, one of the things that is a bummer about the Switch is that unlike the 3DS uh, and unlike the Wii U, it couldn't play games from earlier generations. And like, we still get kind of excited when we see, um, you know, However, it's happening either like Capcom is bringing Final or uh, is bringing uh, Resident Evil um four to uh, the the Switch or the SNES Switch Online or whatever. Um, like they have to come up with solutions for every single uh old game to get on the system. Uh, where there was like a sort of baked in hardware way to do that for for all these other ones. Um, and I I just I just pray that the next Switch uh has that in mind and is like i i want to be able to play my copy of uh Breath of the Wild on whatever they put out next
1: yeah i completely agree i my hope is that like the purchases that we've made on the e shop on like the uh switch will continue to like roll forward and it'll just be like one <sighs> yeah. ecosystem one thing that i think is interesting when we're talking about like uh what Nintendo's next console looks like is in previous generations Nint, you know, like Nintendo made a big decision with the Wii to to prioritize like the motion controls, but then we saw other companies like copy motion controls, so that wasn't unique to Nintendo anymore. So Nintendo's next console had to be like something different, right? It had to be like the Wii U, and because they had as they had people like uh copying them, they had to continue to like innovate in that way. We haven't really seen Microsoft or or Sony have any interest in this hybrid model that Nintendo has tapped into. Like, yes, yeah. we do see Sony and Microsoft, Microsoft especially like going into this idea of like being able to play games on wherever you want on any form factor with like game pass and X cloud, but it's any, even, even on
0: PlayStation, even on PlayStation with like remote play that you can do that on, on your phone.
1: Right. And so, so it's like, It's that same idea of, like, you can play anywhere, but from a different tact. And so the fact that Nintendo has this kind of, like, hybrid space a little bit to themselves, it makes me think that it's possible that the next generation of Nintendo console will continue to be in this vein. Um, Never say never. Like, Nintendo may decide they want to do something completely different in the future. But this, more than, like, the Wii U era, like, it makes sense to me that they don't feel the need to, like, completely reinvent themselves.
0: Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. And also, like, you know, we, we talked about it uh, from the NES to the Super NES. Like, it's kind of just a, a a plussed up version. Um, you know, ditto the Game Boy to Game Boy Advance and the uh, N64 to the GameCube. Um, you know, the Switch to whatever comes next will likely just be um, a better version of, of what we're currently playing with. Um, and, you know, we'll uh, spend $350 on it or something. <laughs> Also crazy that the price of the Switch hasn't dropped at all in in 4 years, huh? Yeah, crazy but also uh not not that surprising. Yeah, yeah. I guess I guess that's fair. Um Nintendo does like to keep the price of their stuff high and it's been selling like nuts, so why would they even bother? Okay. Um that's what we identified as all of the big generational leaps. Uh, for Nintendo consoles. If you have something that you think we left out, keeping in mind that we did acknowledge going to 3D with the <laughs> Nintendo 64, <laughs> um, you can write at, uh, write to us at nintendo cartridge society at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. Uh, and, and let us know. Uh, we would love to hear from you. All right, uh, Mark, let's close this out. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Nintendo Cartridge Society. Remember, please rate, review, subscribe, uh, and all that good stuff on Apple Podcasts. If you like the episode, please share it wherever you share stuff, um, Facebook or Twitter or, you know, wherever. Um, uh, You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Patrick underscore Ellers. Mark is at MKE Mitchell, and the show is at NIN Cart Society. We also have a Facebook page, which is just Nintendo Cartridge Society. Olivia Duncan Mayer logo. Our theme music is provided by Ape at Betty. You can get more of his music by going to Ape or by listening right now. From my co-host, Mark Mitchell, this is Patrick Ellers saying, we get it. 3D was obviously a big deal. We didn't mean to downplay it. Now we want to talk about it. Thank you for listening. Campfire.